All right, Mott's pretty unique episode here for uh, number 21 of the Rink Shrinks. We had a chance to sit down and, and chat with Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame pitcher, who was also drafted in the fourth round by the LA Kings. Obviously went on to uh, have a Hall of Fame pitching career with the Atlanta Braves and New York Mets and a guy I've got to know over the years as a, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be calling, to, to call him a friend and great people. So what do you say, Mots? Let's get into it. Let's go. All right, Mots, we had an unbelievable talk with Tom Glavin, Hall of Fame pitcher, Cy Young Award winner. It was a, a real treat. And, you know, this being an educational podcast, my thoughts are let's just get right into it. I mean, he he provided such great insight into his, you know, his baseball career and obviously his path being drafted in hockey as well. And just a just a great guy. I was pumped to have him on. Big baseball fan and appreciate the game and just having a chance to talk to a Hall of Famer, a Cy Young Award winner and you know, just kind of getting some insight into just the mindset of a pitcher and a great hockey player as he was coming through. So, and those decisions that he had to make. So, yeah, pumped to have him on and let's get to it. You guys are really going to enjoy this one. He was a blast to talk to. Before the interview, we'd like to talk to you about Cross Country Mortgage. If you own a home and you haven't looked into refinancing in a while, having a chat with Devo to see if it makes sense is a no-brainer. Many people don't understand the impact that a refinance can have on their monthly savings or overall wealth. Devo can help you save money on a monthly basis so you can put more into savings and other projects. Check him out at chrisdevin.com. Again, go to chrisdevin.com and he and the team at Cross Country can let you know if they can save you some dough. Cross Country Mortgage, LLC, NMLS number 47305. Well, once again, thanks, Devo, for uh, the support of the Ring Shrinks podcast. You're the man. And our next guest on the Ring Shrinks podcast was drafted in the fourth round of the 1984 NHL draft by the Los Angeles Kings after starring at Bill Ricca High School in the Massachusetts area. He ultimately made the decision to play baseball instead of hockey and went on to have a Hall of Fame career in the major leagues. Welcome to the show, Tom Glavin. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Doing great. Thanks for joining us today, Tom. This is awesome. Happy love to baseball, love hockey, so it's a great fit. Yeah, a lot of what we talk about on the show, Tom, is is you know kids playing multiple sports and not specializing and just being an athlete first and foremost. And I think you know nobody there hasn't been too many many guys that were drafted in the in the NHL and then obviously go on and have the the major league baseball career that you you did. So I think you you you're kind of like the the golden star of what we're <laughs> uh, what we're talking about. That's for sure. Well, I don't know about all that, but yeah, I was um, yeah I, I like to say that was. Uh, Probably the best, oh, a stretch of the best two weeks that you could possibly have as an 18-year-old kid. Um, you know, to to say that I was digging myself at the time would probably be an understatement. Um, so, you know, to get have the opportunity to not only get drafted in one sport but two sports, um, it was it was pretty cool. But uh, ultimately, a little bit stressful trying to make a decision. But I think I made the right one. Yeah. I'd say so. Judging by your background right now, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you did decide to go to UMass Lowell to uh, try and play both sports, though, and then getting drafted by both the Kings and the uh, the Atlanta Braves kind of forced your hand to make a decision. But he just talked to us about that kind of that stretch like he just talked about. You decide to stay close to home, try and play both and then ultimately make that decision. Yeah, I mean, that was the big um, I guess the big dilemma for me with college because um, I had a I had three or four really good baseball schools that were recruiting me, and I had probably more hockey schools that were recruiting me at the time. 
Um, but it was kind of that dynamic where the, obviously the good baseball schools didn't have hockey. Um, and back then a lot of the good hockey schools didn't have baseball. Um, you know, example being Boston college was recruiting me and back in the, in the mid eighties, they had club baseball. So they, they didn't even have uh, division one baseball like they do today. Had it been today, BC would have been a great fit. Um, but club baseball at the time, really the only big time college school that was recruiting me for hockey, um, that had a really good baseball program was, was Maine. Uh, and I just didn't want to go that far away from home. So, uh, UMass Lowell was a good fit. They had, uh, recently joined hockey. East, so, uh, obviously great hockey. Uh, their baseball program was, was really good. Um, you know, division two baseball program at the time. I'm not sure what they are now, but, uh, they were a really good baseball program. So, you know, I wanted to still try and play both sports. Um, might've been naive and thinking I could do that, but, uh, looking back at it now, but, uh, certainly at that time at the college level, uh, I wasn't ready to give either one up. So that was, that was my, uh, my, my part of my focus. Obviously I want to go to school and get an education, but, um, you know, part of my focus was to try and, and play both sports, but, you know, ultimately once I got drafted, um, you know, it really came down to, did I want to go and take a chance with baseball, uh, or did I want to take advantage of, of, a, of a college scholarship? Um, you know, being from a, uh, blue collar family, a college scholarship was a big deal. That was a, a big burden off my dad's shoulders. Um, so I didn't want to take that lightly. So ultimately kind of weighing the pros and the cons of everything. And, and as you guys know, with hockey, um, they draft you, they tell you they drafted you. I got my phone call from the Kings. I knew where I was going to school and it was basically, Hey, uh, we'll talk to you after your junior year. Um, whereas with the Braves the next day it was, Hey, we want to sign you or sending somebody to your house to try and get it done. So, uh, much different dynamic that way. But, um, you know, once, once I kind of weighed the pros and cons of everything, um, you know, I felt like being a left-handed pitcher gave me an advantage in baseball that I didn't have in hockey. I mean, I was six feet tall, 175 pounds. So there was nothing special about that as a hockey player, but being a left-handed pitcher, um, that was, that was a commodity. So once the Braves ultimately uh, gave me enough money to, uh, if it did not work out that I could pay for my own college, that was kind of the tipping point and I was on my way. Was there any truth to the rumor that um, you chose, ba <clears throat> excuse me, baseball because they would have had to move Gretzky to the wing if you had played for <laughs> that, that, was one, that was one of my standard lines after because, you know, obviously when, when Wayne got traded to L.A., you know, I was already in the big leagues when that happened. And, and, you know, obviously it was a big deal when that trade took place. So um, with my hockey background, you know, immediately baseball writers were asking me about Gretzky going to, to L.A. And that was my standard line that was, you know, he's he should be thankful I didn't sign with the Kings because he would have had to move to wing. So uh, it got, that got some play time. I can I can tell you that. <laughs> That's a great That's line. Awesome. Actually. Uh, Tom, take us back to like your, your early days. When did you, I, I, you know, I, I guess fall in love with both sports? Did you play, you know, we, we always ask guys that they play multiple sports. We know the answer to that one. Uh, were you also involved in, in, in football, soccer, things like that? And, and kind of talk to us of, you know, I, I guess hockey, like how did you get involved in hockey? Did your parents play or, or, or your dad or older brother or anything like that? Or, or yeah, you know, I don't honestly, I don't even know how I got started with hockey. Um, you know, I think my older brother played a little bit, um, but not enough that I remembered seeing him play and was like, OK, I want to I want to do that, too. 
um, I, you know, I got started in hockey really early, like most people do up there. I mean, I, I think I started skating when I was five years old, um, doing the clinics they used to call them. I don't, I guess it's learn to skate now is, is what they call them. Um, but you know, that was where hockey started. And, and I, I don't, I don't know why, like I said, I started, um, but I loved it. And, you know, it was not a, uh, I don't, I don't recall my dad saying that he had too many issues getting me out of bed at, you know, to go to six o'clock ice time to play hockey. So, um, I loved it from an early age. Um, and then you know, I didn't start playing baseball. I guess little league started at seven years old, uh, up there. So I started playing little league when I was seven. Um, you know, and along the way I dabbled in other stuff. You know, I played a little bit of, uh, basketball, uh, with my elementary school. Um, I played soccer, for a couple of years, but you know, I get funny story with soccer. I was a decent soccer player. Um, and as we're, you know, talking here about playing multiple sports and not specializing and doing all that stuff, that's kind of what happened with me with soccer. I was, I was trying to play soccer and baseball. And I remember I missed a soccer practice for a baseball game. Uh, and my soccer coach wasn't real happy about that and essentially told me, listen, you're going to have to make a choice. And that was the end of my soccer career. Um, cause you know, I wasn't going to do that. So, um, so, you know, it, it was kind of at that, from that point on, probably, I guess, 11, 12 years old, it was strictly hockey in, in, uh, in baseball. I never played football. My dad was, a was a football player and, and was pretty banged up from when he played high school football. So, really didn't have much interest in me going through that, although I'm not sure hockey was all that much safer, but, um, you know, it wasn't the constant beating that football, uh, presented, but, uh, you know, yeah, those, those are the two sports and, and, you know, I was, um, I was fortunate, I think, and sorry, I'm moving my camera here a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I, I was fortunate, I think in that my parents, particularly my dad, uh, were adamant about me playing both sports. Um, and they were adamant that I wasn't going to play either one year round. And, you know, my dad always, always told me as a kid when that, when my hockey season ended, the hockey bag went in the closet and it was baseball season. And I wasn't, the hockey bag wasn't coming out until September. Uh, and it really wasn't until, it wasn't until my sophomore year in high school, I think, um, that I played in that, my first hockey night in Boston tournament. Uh, that was the first time he ever let me do anything in the summer hockey related. And I'm, I'm thankful to this day that he did that. Uh, cause as you guys know, um, sure you've seen it more than me, but you know, I was around a handful of guys who I played hockey with growing up that played a lot of hockey. Uh, and by the time they got to high school, they were burned out. They didn't want to play anymore. Um, so I'm thankful that my parents didn't let me do that. Um, that's probably one of one of many things that I've tried to incorporate as a parent with my kids. Same thing. Try to make them play as much as they could and don't play anything year round. So um, that's kind of all where it went. Yeah, I, I read a quote from uh, one of your friends, Ed Tierney, you know, about, um, you know, your little league days. It was you'd hope yeah. he wouldn't show up and then his father would get him there last minute and you knew you were done. <laughs> so like, just coming in on two wheels, you, you don't see the lefty warming up, and then you're all fired up. And then next thing you know, you come come in on two wheels and, and start throwing gas. So I, I, I thought yeah. that was funny. I'm sure my dad was racing home from uh, you know pouring a foundation or or doing something, <laughs> uh, finishing his day at work, and it was come on, let's go. So yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so as far as um, you know, you, you mentioned about implementing some of that stuff with your kids. 
we talk a lot about, you know, trying to put the bag away and, and be an athlete and get outside and work on your athleticism. And it will translate to something, whatever sport you decide down the road, if you start to specialize. But um, how did that work with you? You know, as you know, you played, you know, so much in the summer times, you know, I, I, I guess as far as your, your sons uh, wanting to play baseball, were you around enough to, to be able to kind of help out or, or be, go to the games and, you know, what kind of dynamic was like, was that like? Um, you know, I, I guess early, I shouldn't, I guess when they were younger, um, I was more involved with their hockey stuff because that was my off season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was home, I was able to be a part of it, um, you know, helped coach a little bit uh, and, and did that. So that, that was fun. Um, the baseball side of it, like I said, I was generally playing, so I would, you know, if I was in town and I could see a game, great. But um, didn't 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 have as much involvement, obviously, as I would like. And then, fortunately for me, um, I retired and my kids were still pretty young. So, uh, you know, eight or nine years old, maybe uh, when I retired. So I was able to get involved heavily after that. But you know, strangely, I didn't. I resisted. Um, I resisted the invitations to get involved with their baseball for a long time. Um, you know, I, I just, yeah. Um, I just first, first and foremost, I just wanted, I wanted to relax, um, and, and just kind of watch and be a dad. Um, and it was really once Peyton, uh, my 22 year old, once he got, uh, serious about baseball and, and started playing travel ball, uh, that's when I got involved and I got involved mostly because I wanted to have some say in their schedule. I didn't want to, uh, I, I didn't want them playing a hundred games a year. Uh, so it was probably more for selfish reasons than anything else. Um, but it was fun. You know, um, I enjoyed being around them, particularly hockey, hockey for, for us. Uh, and I say us, uh, probably more me, but I, I know my kids had a great time. Um, it was a great way to spend time with them. Um, you know, and to be around them at the rink, um, it's always that dynamic of, Hey, if they're going to be playing a sport, um, and, and, and I could help coach it, I might as well do it because at least I'm having some influence on them. And I know, I know what I'm talking about versus, you know, particularly in Atlanta with hockey, you don't really know what you're getting, uh, from, from people who are coaching. So, um, that was part of the selfish side of it too. But, you know, looking back at it, I really love those trips that we took and, and in Atlanta travel hockey truly is travel hockey. You're traveling and you're going places and you're spending, you know, two or three nights in a hotel on the road and you're spending time in the car. And, um, it was a blast, you know, and, and they looked forward to it. I looked forward to it. Uh, it was great quality time that we got to spend together. Um, you know, and, and, and baseball, um, you know, my, my middle son Mason played baseball till he was 12, and then he then he switched to lacrosse, um, which was fun to watch. But I had no involvement with that from a coaching standpoint. But um, you know, the baseball coaching side was fun too. Um, you know, it was uh, I was I was always kind of the secondary coach. I was never the the head coach. Um, and it was just it was fun being around some of those kids. Uh, some of them have gone on to play, you know, with some pretty good college programs and, and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, I just always looked at it, like I said, as a great opportunity to, you know, again, if they're going to be at the rink or they're going to be at the baseball field, I generally have to be there because I have to take them anyway. So I might as well, I might as well help coach and, and spend a little bit more quality time. So it was always fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I remember when Tom got done playing baseball and everything, I was running the Atlanta fire program and, uh, and, you know, Tom was able, we, 
he actually we, we we used to do a Tuesday Thursday skate. It was like a pickup hour, and it was great. It was like you know a bunch of guys that had settled down Atlanta, a lot of northeast and you know guys from the northeast, and it was a, a fun Tuesday Thursday sweat, and uh, we we were able to uh, to to pass some pucks around a little bit. It was it was a blast. So I, I saw a couple of different uh, reports on stats. I think it was your senior year. It, one said 47 and 47, pretty evenly matched. So not much of um, – so BY is more of a disher. So I would say that you'd be getting the puck in the scoring areas or I don't know. I mean, in those – in those, in those uh, You league know, skates. yeah, I mean – yeah. Well, you know, in the men's league skates, um, I, you know, I was, I was more of a, uh, I was more of a playmaker. I was always afraid, you know, B was there, he knows. And, and, you know, our, our buddy, Scott Pearson, um, you know, I was always afraid to shoot a puck that might hit Scott. So, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. that, that never went animal. over. Yeah. That never went over well if you hit Scott. So, you know, a lot of times I'd probably pass up a shot for a pass and let somebody else hit Scott. But, uh, you know, yeah, no, my high school career. Yeah. I mean, I was um, I guess I was equally a, a scorer and and a and a passer. I mean, I enjoyed both sides of it. I mean, look, it, it, there's nothing better than scoring a goal. Right. I mean, it, it's you know, it's just a great feeling. But at the same time, you know, I got a lot of satisfaction about of, of setting somebody else up for a goal, too. I mean, there, there was a lot of fun in that. Um, you know, I was fortunate my high school years I played, uh, we, we had some good teams, um, you know, had some good players. Uh, I think my, my, I think I know my junior and senior year, we lost both years in the semifinals to St. John's prep. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was some pretty good hockey, but, um, was Ken Hodge Jr. on that team? Kenny Hodge Jr. Was on that. I think, yeah, Kenny Hodge Jr. Was on that team. Mike Kelfer was on that team. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't think anybody else. We were on those two teams. I played. I did play my my freshman year at Bill Ricca. We did play St. John's Prep in a scrimmage game, and Bobby Carpenter was there, and that was uh, that was about as good and that was about as good a display of a hockey player as I'd ever seen at that age. Yeah, Mots. The thing that stood out to me about those stats was forty-seven goals, forty-seven assists, and then he goes on to the majors, and he's number forty-seven. How about like that? Right? I'm like, these might be fake stats. <laughs> I know <laughs> Are these legit here. Yeah, let's just throw a bunch of forty-sevens around. Now, I think they were legit. <laughs> were you drafted forty-seventh overall too? I was close, forty-fifth. Forty-fifth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Second round. So, yeah. yeah. That, that, is there a reason why you chose 47 or was it given it? Uh, no, given it was to given you? to me. And, and, oh. and I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, when you show up at your first big league camp and your number is 47, you feel pretty good about that. Cause generally it's a 74 or something <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you're sent down. Yeah, so not that, I, not that I thought I had a chance to make the team my first year in spring training, but it was kind of nice not to have a, a you know, a, an offensive lineman's number. So, uh, <laughs> you know, once I got to the big leagues, I kept it. Oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. So as an 18 year old, um, would you go, I mean, as far as, um, single A balls at Sumter? Yeah. Sumter, South Carolina. Yes. And, and then you, you get get to uh double A Greenville, Richmond. So you put in some, uh, some time. So what you're talking about, about baseball, like that immediate, um, kind of decision you had to make, but then there's like a longer process. It seems like to make it to the bigger le- big leagues versus um, you know going to college and having that time to develop, and the team still retaining your rights, and then you're able to possibly make that NHL roster right when you're done with your amateur status. But um, now, as an 18 year old going down south, uh, w- what was that like? 
Um, you know, I don't want to say I was scared to death, but I was nervous. Um, yeah. you know, I, I'd never been away from home. So, um, you know, my, my first, um, really experience of going away was going away. I mean, I was going and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, you know, I knew obviously I was a high draft pick and, and, uh, there was, um, some expectations that came along with that. There was a reason I was drafted in the second round, uh, but you don't know what you're getting into until you get there. And, and, you know, you get, you get down there and you're around some pretty good players, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's there, there's some talent around you. So it's a little bit of an eye opener. Um, but yeah, I was nervous. Like I said, I didn't, I was going to Bradenton, Florida, uh, had no idea where that was or, or what it was about. Um, it was in the middle of nowhere and, you know, I got to the airport and, uh, the manager of the club down there, Pedro Gonzalez picked me up and, and, you know, you're again, a pretty sheltered life, uh, to some extent living, uh, up there in Bill Ricca. Um, you know, here's this Latin guy that had a really thick accent and I'm having a hard time understanding him and he's talking a thousand miles an hour and, and, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, you know, when I, I got to my place, uh, we went to Pirate City at that time, um, which was where the Pirates had spring training. And it was us, the Pirates, and I forget, another team, maybe the Dodgers or somebody that all shared that complex. And um, it was an eye-opener because it went from, it, you know, it truly went from baseball being, I don't know, recreational to some extent to being, it was a job. Uh, I mean, it was every day. Every day you're at the ballpark early for workouts. Uh, and then you played a game in the afternoon and it was like that for eight weeks um, with the shortened season for the draft kids. Uh, so it was an eye opening experience. And, and then, you know, I had to make the added adjustment of for the first time in my life, I wasn't playing another position. I wasn't batting. I wasn't doing any of that. So, you know, pitching once every five days was <laughs> was a big adjustment. And, and I got to be honest with you, one that I didn't really care for uh, a whole lot. It took me a while to get used to it. But, um, you know, it was uh, it was fun. I mean, uh, you know, there's still some guys that I play with in the minor leagues that, uh, that I'm friends with. And, um, you know, it kind of teaches you the grind of baseball. Um, and I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I, I spent a little over three years to the day from getting drafted, uh, to when I got called up in the, to the big leagues, which at that time was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was fortunate that I was in an organization that, um, was not doing very well and they were trying to rebuild and they pushed me through the system and, um, you know, gave me an opportunity to get to the big leagues, thankfully. And, and it worked out, but, um, you know, it, it's a grind. The minor leagues are a grind. I mean, um, you know, different aspects of it for different reasons. Double A was probably the hardest part because double uh, A was truly the bus league where you're getting on a game. You're getting on a bus at 11 o'clock at night after a game and you're going for 12 or 15 hours in some cases. And you're rolling into the next city that next day and you take maybe an hour nap and it's back at the ballpark. And here we go again. Um, you know, and then triple A wasn't all that much more glamorous. We got to fly from city to city, but you're flying at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, so, you know, it, it, again, it, it, it made you appreciate the grind, uh, of what a season was like so that 
when you ultimately got to the big leagues, you knew what the grind was. You, you, you got taken care of a lot better in the big leagues, but uh, you knew what the grind of a baseball season was all about. But, um, you know, the minor, minor league experience was a lot of fun. Tom, in your professional career, did like, did you fall back to your kind of hockey roots at all and say like, oh, that, you know, me playing hockey kind of helped me in these situations and being that, you know, kind of mentally tough and things like that. Obviously, you know, you are such a great player, but there's, there's highs and lows in every season, right? Yeah, look, I, I think that probably the mentality of having to play hockey um, and, and what it's like to play a hockey game and, and go out there um, fast-paced, um, you're getting whacked around. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I know you guys know, probably have had, had the same conversation with people who don't play hockey. You know, they ask you about hockey, and the first thing they say is, I don't know how you could stand going out there and getting hit. I'd want to fight everybody that hits me, right? <laughs> and, and, and you understand that. But you also know that that's not reality. You can't do that. So as you guys know, as hockey players, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on out in the ice that, that pisses you off. But you gotta, you got to keep your emotions in check. Uh, and I think that served me really well in baseball, particularly as a pitcher, because it, it you know, I was, I, was, I was able to deal with my emotions really well. Um, I was able to deal with ups and downs really well. I think that's why I loved pitching, because it was similar – uh, to the action that you had as a hockey player. Um, I mean, I loved playing the outfield in high school and I loved playing first base, but there was nothing like that adrenaline of getting on the mound. Uh, and I think in large part, it's you're, you're, you're in the action. You know, you control the action every pitch. Um, and I always tell people that, you know, hockey was the same way. When you, put, when you step foot on that ice, you're in it. Whether you want to be or not, you're in it. Um, and, and again, I think that's why I like uh, pitching so much. Uh, but yeah, there's no question... You know, when, when when people talk about me as a as a pitcher, they always talk about my demeanor on the mound and they talk about my competitiveness. And I and there's no question in my mind that those two things went hand in hand with my hockey experience and it and I think it served me really well. Yeah, that mental toughness to to deal with the highs and lows, it's very important. And especially, you know, when you're the guy on the island and on the bump and yeah. you have to, and everyone's watching you and you know, your reaction, if you stop being reactionary, or if there's an error or someone or you get squeezed by an umpire, it's, it's, it's very uh, apparent. So as far as, um, you know, being able to translate that to from your hockey days to the mound is, is pretty, pretty cool for, uh, for our listeners to hear. And that's what and we talk about that controlling your emotions and your body language and things like that. And it's if every time you give up a hit or a home run or something like that, it's the same way in, in hockey. If you have a bad shift and you're sulking and going off the ice, it just, you know, that bad body language can be picked up on and the other team can use it in your advantage. Oh, we're in his, we're in his kitchen at this point, right? Yeah, it's funny. I don't know why it stuck with me, but I had a, a minor league coach. Um, I want to say somewhere between A ball and Double A. Uh, Mudcat Grant was his name, and and what I remember a, what a yeah, name. Yeah, right. Mudcat, <laughs> Mudcat Grant. Uh, but I remember him saying that to me one time, uh, saying, "Listen, when you're you're out here on the mound, this is your office, and and treat it like your office, and and." do everything you can to not let those guys in the other dugout think they got you. Uh, and, and it stuck with me and, and I don't know why, but it did. But when you think about it, it's true because, you know, those guys in any sport, but you know, baseball, like you said, you're the guy out there in the middle of the Island and everybody's watching you. And if you're giving those guys in that dugout, any, that other dugout, any more reason to want to beat you, then that's not good. You know, and that's why I, I was never good at, um, 
you know, going out there and, and looking, you know, like I was doing anything other than working, right? I mean, I had so many people tell me, oh, you don't look like you're having any fun. Trust me, I was having a ton of fun. I, that's just how I had to do it. You know, I've said many a times, I played a couple of years in New York with Pedro, and Pedro had as much fun on the mound as anybody I've ever played with. I couldn't do that. It didn't. It just didn't work for me, right? And and I I say that again because I think that when you're out there, that other team they they want they want to kick your butt. Of course, they want to kick your butt. And if you give them something to think, ah, we got him. You know, he today or hey, that situation right there just ticked him off. All of that plays against you. So that's why I always tried to just have that demeanor of whatever was going on, even if it was really bad. I was trying to. I was trying to have the the um, the I guess the aura about me, so to speak, of that I was in control, that I was doing what I wanted to do. If I threw a terrible pitch, you know, I I, I tried not to, you know, walk around the mound and cuss myself out because I tried to make it act, act like okay, well, I meant to do that. Um, that guy I, steps I, out I, of the box. Exactly. Yeah. Guy, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Out of the box and, yeah. Um, no, I mean I, that's not to say that. You know, I didn't have my run-ins with umpires or make faces at <laughs> umpires and, and things like that from time to time. But, you know, I think as far as the confrontation between me and the hitter or me and that other dugout, I just tried to play it as even keel as I could, even if it wasn't going right, just because I wanted to, again, I wanted to give off the uh, the notion that I was in command and I was in control and not that let them think, aha, we got him today. Because God knows from the other dugout, there were many a times where our teams had a guy on the mound that you had, you heard just that like, all right, boys, we got him today. He, you know, he's rattled, he's frazzled or whatever. I, I just never wanted to, I never wanted to be that. Now going back to what you're saying about in the minors, uh, about the grind and preparing you for the grind. Uh, we talk about trying to find a routine to get into for practices and games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your routine probably changed because you weren't, a position player when you weren't pitching. So did you find something that you could duplicate on days off? And then obviously probably a little different for, for game days as you're preparing, because we, when that routine comes into play, you have so many games and you're working towards every five days, but uh, Mark, you know who he pitched with, right? John what? Smoltz. I mean, the tea times were set up before these guys even got on the plane. Come on. Yeah. The Trust clubs, me, what's the club the clubs were packed before they even they were the first <laughs> thing they they went on before the bats. You got that right. You for sure. No, when our schedule was released, we had our golf schedule pretty much set up. <laughs> That's awesome. no, it wasn't that bad. No, but I mean look, I'm I'm a huge believer in routine. Um you know, I I think and I tell my kids the same thing. I, I think a, a routine is an extremely important thing to have. You know, if nothing else it holds you accountable for being prepared for whatever it is you're getting ready to get be prepared for. Um, and, and, you know, look, my, my routine changed a lot over the years. Um, you know, truth be told, I guess in the minor leagues, my routine was kind of, I would pitch. I don't know what I did the day after I pitched for the most part, I'd throw a bullpen somewhere uh, in between and then I'd pitch again. Uh, and that was kind of it. And, and honestly, when I got to the big leagues, it was really, it was pretty similar because when I got to the big leagues, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I got to the big leagues. I showed up. They gave me a tour of the clubhouse where everything was. They showed me where the weight room was and then said, stay out of there. <laughs> and that was the mentality. When I got to the big leagues, you didn't work out during the season. You didn't. And as a pitcher, you really didn't do any of that. Um, so that, that aspect of things really changed over the course of my career. So that's why I say my, my, 
my routine definitely changed over the years. Um, but, you know, it was the kind of thing, like I said, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you um, that I was the hardest working guy that ever played the game. But but I will tell you, once I settled on a routine, that was my routine and, and not, not much got in the way of it. If, if there was something physical that kept me from doing what it was in between starts that I needed to do, that was one thing. But, you know, that's why I was never a I was never a big card player um, and all that other stuff, because I used to watch guys waste more time playing cards. Uh, mm-hmm. when they sh- probably should have been doing something else. Uh, and I just never wanted to do that. And and so my, you know, my routine was very important to me because, you know, it, it, to me, it was, like I said, it was that holding myself accountable to my commitment to get ready for my next start uh, to go out there and, and give my team the best chance to win. And, and if I did everything that I needed to do or I was supposed to do and I went out there and got beat, I could accept that. If I didn't do something and I went out and got beat, then there was always that feeling in my head of, well, you sold yourself short. You didn't do what you 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 didn't do what you you said you were going to do, and therefore you went out and had a bad result. So, um, you know, I, again, I think it was a very important aspect of of what I did once I once I became aware of routines and and what it was and how important it was as as I matured as not only a a person, but as a player, I mean, I was really, I was young when I got to the big leagues, I was 21 years old. So, um, you know, I, there was a lot I didn't know, obviously. So you, you learn over time, but you know, I would, I would say to anybody. And, and like I said, I tell my own kids all the time, routines are, routines are important. Um, because like I said, if nothing else, it holds, it holds you accountable, uh, for what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, we're always talking about how important it is to play multiple sports growing up and not getting burned out by too much hockey and keeping it fun. We talked quite a bit about that with uh, with Tom Glavin in our interview this week. Uh, it's also so important to develop skills like hand-eye coordination from baseball, lacrosse, footwork, and soft hands from flag football or soccer. Our partner, Franklin Sports, can act as the one-stop shop for all the equipment you need to play these other sports. In addition to street hockey equipment, they're offering all of our le- listeners 20% off their entire website of sports equipment at franklinsports.com. Enter the coupon code RINKSHRINKS for 20% off site-wide through the end of 2021. Street hockey equipment, soccer balls, nets, footballs, batting gloves, baseball equipment, pickleball, cornhole, volleyball, and more. When the ice melts, we keep playing, Mots. Yeah, all good stuff to uh, pick up for a, a barbecue or a cookout. You know, as the weather turns, we can have a little backyard Olympics. Be sure to go to franklinsports.com and enter the coupon code Rink Shrinks. Yeah, they also have that passer. Did you see that video on uh, on Instagram? The you know, the kid taking one timers and things like that. Those things are uh, pretty cool little pieces of equipment, and we thank those guys at Franklin. The Six Line. Log on to thesixline.com to register today for upcoming defenseman camps with the Rink Shrinks. We have clinics coming up at the Canton Sportsplex in June and the Canton Ice House in July. Log on to the sixline.com for details and learn from the ring chinks on the ice as well as off the ice. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to people signing up for those. There's uh, there's still room, so let's go. Uh, we really, you know, we, we like to focus on skating and positional play in all three zones, and it's good stuff. So make sure you guys log on to the sixline.com and register today. <laughs> Yeah, when I was a rookie, I, I was fortunate to play with Brian Leach, and that was his advice to me, is find a routine that works for you. It's, you know, something that might work for someone else doesn't work for you, but right. 
get, get in that routine and, and something you can duplicate. You don't want to do it, do something too much that, you know, you weigh yourself out or it's taxing on you, but you find something game day or uh, practice day that you can do. And, and that's a perfect uh, description. What you said, it, it, it prepares you for what you need to do. And that's uh, that's a good piece of advice there. And, you know, Brian Leach has obviously had, had a great career as well. So he uh, passed some knowledge on yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was he was funny, pretty good. It's funny those Hall of Famers know what they're talking about. I know every <laughs> once in a while, right? Every now and then we do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Tom, just you know, in, in terms of of you know baseball and uh, you know the the like you said the grind of it and the competitiveness and like you know when I look at baseball, it's kind of like it's an individual sport, kind of right? Like you've got to do your job, everybody, but. And that's what we've we've talked about on the podcast is like, you know, individually, if you when you're up to bat, there's no passing the buck. You know what I mean? There's no mm-hmm. like like in hockey, like, oh, I had my guy and things like that. But you guys, you know, formed such a, a you know, camaraderie of a pitchers group with with Smoltz and Maddox and Avery and those guys. And talk about like that, the, the actual team makeup that you guys had in those years in Atlanta. You know, it was look, I was um, whatever you whatever term you want to use lucky blessed, fortunate, any, any one of those, uh, to be able to play with those guys, particularly John and Greg, obviously, because we, you know, we're forever linked. There's not many people that talk about me that don't have mentioned Greg and John in the same breath. I mean, that's, uh, that's just the way it was. And, and that was great. It's great to be a part of something like that. Um, I think we were fortunate that we did it when we did, because in today's game, no way you're keeping three pitchers like that together for as long as we were able to play, which is, I think, you know, 10 plus years uh, that we were able to be teammates. But, you know, what was so great about that was was the was the dynamic of what what we were as teammates, um, what we meant to the team in terms of the success of the team. But then how much fun we had off of the baseball field um, and and for three guys who were. Um, as good as we were and as successful as we were, um, to not have egos and, and really kind of enjoy each other's company, that, that's, that's kind of rare. Um, and again, it was, um, you know, we were pretty, pretty blessed that we were able to experience all that. But, you know, look, it was, it was great because, again, you talk about the accountability thing and, and expectations and all that. You know, when, when, we, when we ultimately had our worst of first year in 91 um, we snuck up on a lot of people. Um, that, that was probably the easy part. The hard part after that every single year, particularly in 92, was, okay, now you're not surprising anybody. Now people are expecting you. Um, when you come to other teams' ballparks now or you come to a, a three-game series now, nobody's taking you lightly. You're getting their best because you guys are defending champions. So uh, I felt like defending was much easier than winning that first time um, for that reason. And, and because of that, now – the expectations are higher. Um, the expectations on your team and as you on you as an individual is higher. And, and that comes, again, with responsibility, right? So, you know, it was the kind of thing that we knew in order for our team to be successful and do what we needed to do and what we wanted to do, we had to, we had to uphold our end of the bargain. Um, none of us wanted to be the weak link in the chain. And because of that, again, it gets back to that accountability aspect. You better be prepared. You better do everything you need to do to be successful. Um, and you better not be the guy that's shortchanging the rest of the club. So I think that was very important for all of us. It, hel- it held us all accountable in that regard. But like I said, we knew 
we knew what was expected of us. We none of us wanted to be the weak guy in the in the chain, um, and it, and it and it pushed. We pushed each other. You know, we had we had very friendly competitions amongst one another. You know, with our hitting and our bunting and all that stuff. But um, it was never never anything on a pitching standpoint other than just pushing each other. And we pushed each other from the standpoint of. You know, if uh, I was following Greg in the rotation and Greg went out and pitched a five-hit shutout, well, I wanted to go out the next night and pitch a four-hit shutout, you know, and Smoltzy wanted to do the same thing. So we drove each other that way. I've always maintained, and, and I don't speak for these guys on this, but I always maintained being around those guys made my job easier, you know, because when you're – when you're a number one starter, you're you're the ace of a staff, and I've heard so many guys in my career talk about wanting to be the ace of a staff and having no idea what that meant in terms of responsibility. You know, when you're the ace of the staff, you better win because when you go out there, you're the ace. You better win. And on on some of the teams that I was a part of early in my career, not that I was the ace, but you could see the guy that we expected to go out there and win. If he didn't, God knows when we're going to win again. You know, because the next four guys aren't very good either. Um, so when you're that guy, there's expectations that come with that. Being around those guys, it took a lot of that pressure away. You know, you still wanted to do well, obviously, but you knew, hey, if I have an off night, I got one of these guys coming behind me uh, that's probably going to turn things back around for us. So you never had to go out there with this sense of, you know, the weight of the world on your shoulders. You better win because God knows when you're going to win again. So, I think it made my job easier being around those guys. And then it was, you know, being around them as long as, as we were able to be around each other was like having two more coaches. You know, I can't tell you how many times if I was struggling with something, I could go to those guys and say, Hey, look, I feel like I'm doing this. When I go out there next inning, watch me, tell me if you see it. And, and it was invaluable to come back in the dugout and, you know, Hey, Glav, I don't see you doing that. Or, Hey, you know what I do? I do see you doing that. And, and then you can make your corrections, um, so it was, that part was again, invaluable, but you know, the fun we had off of the, off of the field. I mean, look, like we talk about baseball's a grind and I don't care what it is. You got to have an outlet and, you know, none of us were, you know, the big party guys, we weren't going out every night after the game and that kind of stuff. So, uh, our vice was golf and, you know, we'd get up first thing in the morning, go play golf, come back, take a nap, go to the ballpark. Um, and that was our getaway. And, and we got criticized for it at times that, you know, oh, they play too much golf and that's all they do. Uh, you know, and, and as much as it was our getaway, I'm going to say 60 to 70 percent of the conversations we had on the golf course were about baseball. You know, whether it was a series we just played or a series we're getting ready to play or, hey, I'm getting ready to face this guy. How did you get how do you get him out? What do you, you know? So that was kind of what it was. But off the field was pretty fun and we played some pretty darn good golf courses. <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening to an interview with Grant Fuhrer and he said he played 54 holes the day before game seven in the Stanley cup uh, finals. Yeah. Like, I never, yeah, I never that's did unbelievable. that. Yeah. I never did. I did 54 <laughs> once on an off day. Um, I never, you know, we always Smoltzy and I and, and Greg, we always talked about, cause the rumor was the rumor was the day that Clemens had his 20 strikeout game against Detroit that he played golf that day because he because they thought they were getting rained out and they ended up not getting rained out. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. It doesn't really matter for the purposes of what I was going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you. But we had all you know, we had heard that and we had always talked to each other about, you know, one time in my career, I want to play golf the day that I pitch. And we had ample opportunities. You know, we had, you know, a number of years where it was September 
we had already clinched our division. There was nothing riding on on anything other than trying to finish the game strong or finish the year strong, that kind of thing. So it would have been easy for any one of us to say, you know what, I'm going to do it today. But none of us ever did. So it's probably the one thing that I wish I had done uh, just to see what 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 would have what it would have been about or what if I would have felt any different or wherever the case may have been. But, uh, yeah, we never we never ever none of us ever did that. Now, you talked about being lumped together with Smoltz and Maddox. Does anyone ever bring up Doyle Alexander? Um, well, I mean, I do because it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of what what uh, what uh, ties me and Smoltzy together to begin with. So, um, yeah, that was, um, you know, great it's funny. Trade. Yeah, yeah, that was a, yeah, it was turned out to be a great trade for the Braves. Great, great trade for me. And, you know, for the folks that don't know, yeah, that was the uh, that was the trade that got me to the big leagues. The Braves traded Doyle to. Detroit uh they were in the they were in the pennant race that year and that was their trade deadline pickup was Doyle Alexander and Doyle pitched really well for the Tigers he 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 helped them get right yeah he helped them get into the postseason and uh the guy we got in return happened to be John Smoltz so uh yeah it was a trade that got me to the big leagues got Smoltz to Atlanta and then you know the rest is history but uh yeah uh it's funny how how those kinds of things uh you look back at it and and you know uh I don't want to say a meaningless trade, but a trade, you know, at, at dates, that stage where a, a star player gets traded for, you know, kind of a minor league prospect. And then, you know, you look back and you're like, man, that was uh, that turned out to be a pretty good trade. Yeah, you it, guys, you guys ultimately in, in 95 won the World Series. Talk about that experience and just, I mean, the, the, the high of it. You went on, you were the World Series MVP. You won two games. I mean, just an amazing accomplishment. Uh, you know, it was it was the actual winning winning the World Series was was phenomenal in that, you know, it's obviously what you want to do. You set out every year to be the last team standing, and um, that's what you're trying to do. And for us, you know, we had we had come up short uh, in all of the previous years. You know, losing in '91 to uh, Minnesota, losing in '92 to Toronto, uh, getting beat in the NLCS in '93 by Philadelphia. Uh, so we had we had been on the doorstep and hadn't been able to, to close the deal and, you know, started getting all the Buffalo bill comparisons because, you know, Buffalo at that time had lost what four or three or four Super Bowls in a row. So, um, you know, we had all that on our shoulders as well. So um, it was the kind of thing that, you know, we had, we had had, like you said, several opportunities, um, hadn't been able to get it done kind of wonder as a player, well, you know, how many more opportunities are we going to get? When is this window going to close? So there's a little bit of a sense of urgency. You know, it's not going to go on forever. Now, I don't think at that time, I think we were five, four or five division titles in a row in. Nobody knew it was going to go 14 years in a row. So uh, apparently the window was a little bigger than any of us thought it was. But still getting to the World Series is not an easy task. Um so we had all that on our shoulders, and and I think to ultimately win it after those near misses made it a little bit more special. Um, a lot of the guys who had been a part of those near misses were a part of the ultimate championship, which made it even better uh, to have kind of gone through that that um, struggle to get there, so to speak, and then ultimately do it with a lot of the same players. Um, you know, it was it was an odd dynamic because um, we had a chance to win the World Series in Game Five. In Cleveland, uh, Greg was pitching game five, and we didn't do it. We didn't win. And I remember I was pissed uh, because, you know, it's an odd dynamic that when you're in a situation where you got a chance to close out a series and you're the guy that's pitching the next game, 
you don't want to pitch that game. You know, you want to win, you want to be done with it, and you don't want to have to pitch. So, you know, I was I was pissed, like I said, that we had to play another game that we didn't win. Um, and then I had to kind of mentally turn back on that, okay, now I got to pitch after spending the whole, the whole night watching the game, hoping I wasn't going to have to pitch. And it really wasn't until we landed in Atlanta that night after the game that I really started to embrace the opportunity that I had to go out there and pitch in a, in a World Series clinching game. Um, you know, and I remember talking with Greg, we had an off day, had a workout. And I remember talking to Greg on the way to the ballpark because, you know, he scuffled a little bit in game five. Um, and I remember, you know, talking to him, I said, hey, so, you know, did you, was it you or did they make adjustments? Uh, did they do something different? And, and I remember vividly him telling me, he's like, Glav, just do your thing, pitch your game. He's like, I wasn't very good. I wasn't on my game pitch your game and you're going to be fine. And, and, and that helped me a lot because there's always that tendency when you're facing a team and back-to-back starts that you feel like you have to do something different. Um, you know, I, I always tried to resist that urge. You know, I always felt like, Hey, well, if I got you guys out and I, and I pitched a good ball game, well, why can't I do that again? And, and, and if I can't, then I'll make an adjustment. I'm not going to just make an adjustment because I'm pitching against you again. But with that team, there was a <laughs> there was a strong inclination to feel like you had to make adjustments because that was the best offensive lineup I faced in my career. Those guys were stacked from top to bottom. Uh, and when you look back at that lineup now, you know there's a couple Hall of Famers in there. Uh, there's there's some pretty good players in that lineup. So, you know, to think I was going to go out there and do what I did, never in my wildest dreams. But um, you know, it was one of those things where. Um, I was notoriously not very good in the first inning. If I was going to struggle in a game, it was in the first inning. Um, I had a phenomenal bullpen warm-up, which I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to because there was many a times where I threw a bullpen and I thought, man, I'm going to throw a shutout today, and I went out and I got my butt kicked. And there were equally other times where I threw my bullpen and I was walking to the dugout from the bullpen thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do today? And then something clicks, you know, so you, you just don't know. Um, but I had a really good warm up that night. And when I went out in that first inning, it was one, two, three, I was through it. And it was like, okay, what I had out there in the bullpen, I brought with me tonight and I knew I was on my game. Um, now it just happened to be given the circumstances, the best game I ever pitched. So it was, uh, it was, it was yeah. good timing. Now I, I could say from a technical standpoint, there's probably two other games in my career that were as good as that. Um, both of them probably were in, in Colorado, which is the hardest place in the world to pitch. Uh, and they were both shutouts out there. So from a technical standpoint, probably as good as that game that I pitched. But given the circumstances and what it meant, you know, obviously the best game I ever pitched given the circumstances. And um, it was uh, it was it was a pretty neat experience. Eight innings, one hit. Yeah, not no big deal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no biggie. Yeah, that must have been a pretty good party after that. Like you said, like getting so close to in like that expectation and kind of, you know, maybe having some dough creep in at, at times, but then to get over that hump, have that performance, and then you could kind of enjoy that that run that you've been on and then, you know, the championship that you took home. Maybe, yeah. you, should, maybe you should go up to Toronto and talk to the, <laughs> uh, Matthews and Monner and those guys. Um, I know. Oh, my God, I know, right? Those poor guys. Uh God knows what they're going to hear for the next two or three weeks. But uh, no, I mean, look, at we had. A, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities because with us, it was, you know, the same thing. Kind of, you know, you're always coming up short. Um, you know, what's wrong? Why can't you guys win? And, and look, as, as an athlete, as much as you 
as much as you try to ignore all that stuff, it's hard to ignore it. Uh, and, and I have to imagine in today's world, it's got to be near impossible to ignore that with social media and 24 hour news cycles and, and all that stuff. So it, but you know, look, it's the kind of thing that, you know, it, it sucks going through it. There's no question about it, but you know, again, I think it's one of those things, not, not that you, not that you're going to take solace in it, so to speak, but listen, there, there are lessons to be learned in failure. I mean, I, I think you guys would agree. We, we, we've all probably learned more in failure than we have in success. I mean, it, it you know, it's easy to, to be successful and kind of overlook what's going on. Uh, but when you fail, uh, it really forces you to look at, okay, what's going on? What can I do better? What can I improve upon? What can I learn? Um, and, and it's hard to do that when everything's going the way you want it to. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe those guys in, in Toronto will, uh, will, will do a little bit of soul searching and figure some things out, but not at the expense of our Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> I think they can afford to hire you. I don't know. I think that might be yeah, part of the could. problem. Yeah, maybe. Might be yeah. part of the problem. They're making too much money. <laughs> maybe. Could be. <laughs> So as far as your your game, you know, um, if you don't mind talking about, you know, kind of how you evolved, you know, you have some of your pitches, you know, being, you know, plus change up, um, getting guys off balance, you know, your fastball locating it, um, pitching on the right side of the rubber, you know, so do you think as far as your development as a pitcher, like, did you use your head a lot more as you kind of figured your skill set out a little bit at the major league level and how did you adapt to like some hitters and i just i'm just so interested in that type of stuff because like it, as you played so long and you have to find and not reinvent yourself but you have to kind of find ways to get people out and you know not everyone can can do that so i was just curious as to kind of how you evolved from kind of coming into the league your sweet spot and then your tail end of your career Moth yeah, has I a mean, big wiffle ball tournament coming up. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. I had a pretty <laughs> good I had a pretty good sinker with the wiffle ball back in the day, but I don't I don't know what it would be nowadays. But you had a pretty um, sick uh, wiffle ball <laughs> setup at your house down in uh I, I did. Was, you're you're right, I did. Mini mini Fenway Moth. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh nice. Yeah. Um <laughs> but no, my I mean I look at um I don't think I resembled very much of myself at the end of my career that as I, as to what I was at the start of my career. Um, and I did have to reinvent myself the last part of my career, but you know, I think it's the, the evolution was kind of, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I, I was what I would term a thrower. I didn't pitch. I just got the ball and I threw it. And my idea of a change up in high school was I'll try to throw the next pitch harder than I threw the last pitch. And, <laughs> and that's just what it was. Um, I had a great arm and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, people, it's funny. People nowadays will ask me, well, when did you start taking pitching lessons? My first pitching lesson was the day I showed up in Bradenton, Florida for professional baseball. That was the first time I'd ever gotten any coaching on pitching. Uh, in fact, my, my mechanics, when I look at what they were in high school, I laugh at how I even did it because they just weren't very good. But I was athletic and I just figured it out. It was like, okay, here's where I want to throw the ball and I'm going to try to throw it there. And and about the only advice I got very much on pitching was from my dad. And, and, and most of what he would tell me was something he would hear Warren Spahn say. You know, he was a big Boston Braves fan, loved Warren Spahn. And that's inevitably how I ended up on the far right-hand side of the rubber is because he said to me, he says, listen, you know, if you're throwing the ball and you keep missing outside to a righty, I heard Warren Spahn say that when he does that, he just keeps moving over on the mound until he finds the spot. Okay, so that's what I did. And that's why I ended up 
on the far right-hand side of the mound because when I threw the ball as a lefty, it had that natural tail or that natural run, uh, and it gave me an opportunity to throw it on that outside part of the corner uh, more often. So that's kind of how I ended up there. Um, like I said, in high school, I didn't have a changeup, had a good curveball, had a good arm, got drafted, uh, kind of went through the minor leagues where I was a fastball, curveball guy. It was my – in double A, I started throwing a forkball, uh, and I thought it was the nastiest pitch in, in the game. Uh, and I would get guys swinging at it all the time. I'd throw it 50 feet, and guys would swing at it. And and I remember we signed uh, in double in A, we signed Ned Yost. Ned was a catcher with the, with the Royals, who, who since went on to be a great big league manager, um, was a catcher with the Royals. And the Braves signed him to come to double A to catch me. I was there. Pete Smith was there. And somebody else was there. I forget, a, a high prospect pitcher. And the Braves hired him to come catch us, essentially, and groom us. And I remember one night after a game that I had pitched, we were on the bus going to our next place and, and Ned and I were talking and I, you know, I had a bunch of strikeouts and a bunch on the forkball. Uh, and I remember we were talking, I said, Ned, that, that, that forkball is pretty nasty, isn't it? And he laughed at me and he said, listen, you need to learn how to throw a changeup because nobody's swinging at that pitch in the big leagues. That pitch is garbage. And I was crushed. <laughs> I, I was crushed. I was like, what? What do you mean that pitch is garbage? And he was right. I mean, it was the kind of pitch that nobody in the big leagues is swinging at that. So, you know, when I got to the big leagues, I was a fastball, curveball guy. Um, I had a changeup that wasn't very good. Um, but, you know, my first year in the big leagues, I got to the big leagues, and I was, I was throwing 90, 91, 92 once in a while. Um, but I wasn't throwing enough strikes and I got my brains bashed in my first full year in the big leagues. I lost 17 games. Um, and, and I realized going through it again, you go through failures and you have to look at things and you got to figure some things out. And I realized that, you know, when I, when I went out there and I had my good stuff, those were the games that I would win when I didn't have my good stuff. I didn't win. Um, but I knew that my good stuff typically correlated around me being able to throw my fastball for strikes. Um, so that was my whole emphasis when I went home that winter was listen I, to myself, I got to learn how to throw more strikes with my fastball. And that's all I worked on. I would throw my bullpens in the winter and I would end every bullpen session with 10 fastballs away to a righty, 10 fastballs into a righty. And I'd see how many times I could actually throw it where I wanted to. And that that's, that's how I started to learn how to locate my fastball. And my next year, I had a good year. I ended up winning 14 games in my second year in the big leagues and, um, you know, was in my mind kind of on my way, I thought. Um, third year in the big leagues, kind of had another so-so year. I think I was right around 500, 10 and 12 or something like that. Um, and that's when it became really apparent to me that I needed to get a better secondary pitch. Like my, I, I needed to have a pitch that I could count on behind in the count. Uh, curveball wasn't doing it for me. I really needed to learn how to throw a better changeup. And, and I did, I had a decent changeup at the time. Um, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And, and, you know, I realized, all right, I need to get a better secondary pitch and I need to start learning how to win games when I don't have my A game. Uh, I just couldn't do it. If I didn't have my A game, I was getting beat. And it was that spring or, or, or yeah, the, the, that spring where, I accidentally picked up a ball in the outfield with my, and it landed in my middle finger and my ring finger, and it felt really good in my hand. And I thought, man, this might be a good changeup. And I went and threw it in my next bullpen session, and it was great. 
It was really, really good. And and the struggles I had with my initial changeup was that it was inconsistent. I'd throw it good sometimes, I'd not. Uh, so I was always in my mind thinking I had to manipulate it and I'd slow my arm down, which gives it away and doesn't make it a good pitch. Well, the beauty of this grip that I had, I could throw it as hard as I wanted to, and it just wasn't coming out. So it, it took away the thought process of I have to manipulate the pitch. I Now I knew I can just throw it. So now it was a matter of learning how to throw it for strikes and learning how to throw it for strikes often. Um, and needless to say, that pitch became my bread and butter. Um, and it really enabled me to go out there and, and be really good when I had my good stuff. But it enabled me to stay in games when I didn't have my good stuff because I had that secondary pitch now that I could rely on. Um, and it was the pitch that you know ultimately turned me into a Cy Young Award winner and, and ultimately a, a Hall of Famer. But um, – you know, I still had some evolutions. I mean, you know, I was one of those guys that I didn't, I didn't necessarily tinker with stuff, but I always looked at things that I could do better. I, you know, what can I do better? Can I, can I pitch inside better to righties? Can I uh, be more effective with my curveball? Well, maybe I'll add a cutter or maybe I'll add a slider or, you know, so I was always doing things like that. Um, but I, it evolved, you know, early in, I want to say, the first three years of my career, honestly, in the big leagues, I was always told that I couldn't throw change-ups to lefties, um, and I struggled with lefties. I didn't get lefties out the way that I should, and I finally said, you know what, This my, my change-up is my best pitch, and, and I'm eliminating it against left-handed hitters. This is stupid, uh, and I started throwing my change-up to lefties, and I started getting lefties out. And, you know, people started, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I'm doing it, and, and it turned out to be an effective pitch for me, and then – you know, I, I evolved to where kind of the same thing. I, I realized, you know, if I can throw my changeup on the outside corner to a lefty, maybe I can throw a changeup into a righty. Maybe that's a good pitch. And again, I was, you know, and, and I had this same thought process with the left-handed hitters. I remember one spring training, I went to Freddie McGriff and I said, "Hey, is, what do you think about a changeup into a left-handed hitter?" And he kind of laughed at me. He's like, "That I don't, I don't think you should do that." And I was like, "Well, why?" And he said, well, you're down and into a lefty is kind of where we want it. And I said, I understand that. But if I throw it slow, how can you keep it fair? And so I remember that next day in batting practice, I said, all right, Freddie, I'm going to try it. And so I did. And he knew it was coming, obviously. And, and he hit rockets a mile foul down the right field line. And I was kind of like, told okay, you. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Take you that know? crime right. dog. Right, exactly. So I know everybody in the stands when they see that's going to go, "Ooh!" And I'm thinking, "Okay, strike one." You know, it's a strike. You can't keep that pitch fair. There's no way. But it gives you something else to think about. You know, it's it's not going to be just a fastball when I come in on you. And then I started doing that to righties too. Same thing. You know, I was like, "Okay, everything into a righty is generally, you know, from a me is a fastball." So they're going to be thinking fastball. So if I throw something in there soft, maybe they're not going to recognize it. And sure enough, I started having success doing that. But, you know, I think the biggest change for me in my career was the last five years of my career when when they started using that uh, Quest Tech grading system for the umpires and uh, the strike zone went from being an east and west strike zone to being more of a north and south strike zone. And, look, I struggle with it. I'm not going to lie. Um, and a lot of it was because I was stubborn. I was, you know, I was like, listen, I've been, I've been doing it this way for 16 years. I'm not changing. And I tried not to. <laughs> but it did, again, it was similar to my – my first year in the big leagues where I lost 17 games, it was my first year as a Met and it didn't go well. And I knew, okay, you're, you're going to have to start changing some things. Uh, and I went from being a guy later in my career that maybe in the first portion of my career through, 
I want to say 10% would be a high number inside to righties to being a guy that a lot of times was 50-50. And, and that was a huge adjustment for me. And, you know, I remember my pitching coach in, in New York at the time, Rick Peterson, he was great with analogies. Um, he was like, listen, you know, you, you have all these pitches. You can locate them on both sides of the plate in different situations and whatever, but you're limiting yourself from, from hitter to hitter. Whether it's a righty, you're eliminating stuff. If it's a lefty, you're eliminating stuff. It's like, you know, that would be like Tiger Woods going out there and he can have 14 clubs in his bag, but he's only playing with three. You need to start playing with 14 clubs. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, I understand that analogy and I understand what you're saying. And so I kind of bought in and, and you know, it was a big change, but, it, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it, it saved my, the latter part of my career because I was, I was not very good that first year I was in New York. And a lot of it had to do with my stubbornness as it related to the strike zone. You ended up playing one game in the, uh, in the East coast league. Talk to us about that. I did. <laughs> you know, that was one of those things where, look, I mean, B, you know me, and, and I don't like doing stuff like that. And, yep. you know, to me, it was like, listen, these guys are trying to make a living. They're, they're, they're fighting tooth and nail to stay in the game and to get to the big leagues in hockey and, and the NHL and all that stuff. And here comes this schmuck baseball player that's, you know, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Now, it had a charitable component, component to it. You know, my wife and I are – uh, have been hugely involved with childhood cancer in Atlanta. So that was the ultimate hook for me is that they put a charitable component to it um, to where I was at the game and signing some autographs and doing some things. And, you know, part of it was I would sign a one day contract with the glads and I would go out there and take the opening face off. And um, look, it was fun. Uh, I mean, I got all kinds of ribbing from the guys because, you know, I was out there in warmups and, you know, obviously warmups, you guys had a routine, and it was it was pretty well choreographed, you know. It was really my first time seeing it, and and now I kind of enjoy when I do go to a hockey game and watching the warm up because having done it that one time, I kind of have an understanding of the ebb and the flow and what it and and it and it's fun to watch, you know. It's not it's not just you're haphazardly out there shooting pucks and doing stuff. I mean, it's got a flow to it. Um, but they're giving me so much crap. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm trying to stay out of the way. And, and the last thing I wanted to do was shoot a puck and hit somebody. And, I'm, sh <laughs> you know, I'm shooting these little flutter wrist shots into the net and they're all giving me garb, you know, crap. Like, oh, nice change up or, you know, <laughs> shoot the puck. And I'm just like, look, I'm trying, A, not to get hurt out here. And I damn sure don't want to hurt anybody while I'm out here. Um, so it, it basically was I just went out. I took the opening face off. They blow the whistle. I got off the ice. You know, and then, of course, before it's all going down, there's a couple guys on the bench and they're like, you know what? You should go out there. It'd be really fun if you take the face off and drop your gloves with that guy. You know, the guy because <laughs> they all knew who it was. And they were like, you know, he's not much of a fighter. Come on, drop. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's just that's what I, all mean. I need go out yeah. there and get my butt kicked in a fight. You know, and so but it was fun. Like I said, it was it ended up being uh, I'm glad I did. It was a fun experience just from the standpoint again, of, of getting an appreciation for, you know, even for those guys in the East Coast League. Uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't, what is it, maybe double the double A equivalent of, yep, of yep. baseball. Uh, so they're a couple steps away from the NHL, but there's still some damn good players out there. And, and um, you know, much like uh, I had a couple opportunities uh, to practice with the Bruins uh, a couple of times. And, it, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, having played the game, but obviously at a much lesser level in high school, uh, to go out there and be around those guys and, and actually see how fast they are, how crisp they move the puck, how hard they shoot the puck. Um, 
that for me was just worth it to be out there and see it firsthand uh, how good those guys really are. I used to get the call from Gwinnett once in a while to go play, like if they had guys called up and stuff and uh-huh. I was living locally, so they would call me. I think you probably came to uh, – all the kids would come from like oh, the yeah. Atlanta Fire yeah. program. <laughs> yeah. So they'd come watch the game. And like I, I'm out of shape probably drinking beers the night before. And like <laughs> and then and, and they'd call me out of the bullpen, seriously. But then one day I ended up uh, – I played a game and then, you know, I would just go home. And then like a week later, they called me and like, hey, Alaska picked you up on waivers. So like, they had to, <laughs> so I was like, so I'm like, they know I haven't played in like two years. Right. right. And they, they, so they ended up Alaska had to send me a check. It was great because they picked me up for like two days. So, I mean, it was East Coast League salary. I probably yeah, got that's like, OK. Uh, yeah. Drinking got, money. Yeah. Yeah. I got like 12 bucks, you know what I mean? But it was, uh, it was, it was funny. They're like, yeah, they picked you up on waivers. I was like, oh my God, it was, it was, it was fun. That yeah, uh, that was, it was good times. That would have been a hard, much harder commute than Gwinnett. So I don't know how you yeah. would have yeah. I don't know if Joanna would have, she might have, she might have shipped me off to Alaska though. She might <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Maybe. yeah, she might have thought, had, Brian, this would be a good idea. Yeah. Why don't you go, honey? Yeah, it'd be great. Is there anywhere any further you can, you can head off yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Coming in out of the bullpen, uh, that would be unbelievable. You're down there just running the uh, the the program and, you know, moonlighting as a yeah. East Coast yeah. player, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do you think about the Bruins? Uh, you know what? Um I was, um, I, I was kind of up and down on them. Uh, I mean, they got off to such a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, inevitably kind of hit that skid. I mean, there was no way they were going to play as good as they did starting out the season the whole year, but, um, you know, hit that little bit of a skid. I loved, I loved their trade deadline pickups, love Taylor Hall. Um, uh, I, I'm as happy for Krejci as anybody. Cause that poor guy, uh, has had a revolving door on right wing. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I've always, I've always loved his game. Um, but I, I think I've, I've come to appreciate it even more now because he clearly has a level of trust with, with Taylor Hall. Um, and, and some of the passes that he makes, the way he dishes the puck, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's poetry in motion, you know. I mean, he just – he makes some of the greatest passes. It's like um, you painting a corner. Exactly. It really – it is to a certain extent. I mean, there's that appreciation level. But, you know, I look, I'm, I, um, I think I was a, probably a little bit hoping for Pittsburgh over the Islanders only because they had – uh, they seem to have such a hard time against the Islanders. I don't, you know, the Islanders seem to uh, they seem to muck up that neutral zone against the Bruins an awful lot and make it and make it tough for them to to gain entry in the zone. But it, you know, it's so funny, B, because you know, as you know, coaching kids hockey and whatever, um, you know, it's amazing how many times you would talk to your kids about a game and you talk about protecting the blue lines, get the puck in, get the puck out, and it's amazing how much that comes into play at the NHL, uh, NHL level as well. I mean, uh, there's certain aspects of the game that, that at every level transcend. Um, and I think that's the one thing that concerns me with the Bruins. They, they tend to have some games where my God, they turn the puck over. Uh, and, and if they can eliminate that, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. They can continually uh, try to make plays when sometimes it's the best plays to just gain the zone. Yeah. Well, that's no. like the whole like that's what drives. I love pasta, yeah. uh, but but that's what drives me crazy with pasta. I'm because I and, and I think honest to God, I do. I think it's because he is so good that that like he reminds me a lot of John Smoltz in the sense that you know there was nothing that John did not think he could do. Right? If you challenge him to do it, he's going to do it. And and this is just me watching a layman, you know, hockey player. 
I think a lot of times with pasta, he'll try to make a play or he'll try to make a pass and you're going, what the hell are you doing? Right. <laughs> but I think in his mind, he's so good that there isn't anything he doesn't think he can do. He's like, Oh, I can make this pass or right. I can make this move. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I think a lot of times you just have to cut him some slack because like I said, I think in, he, he's just so good that something presents itself to him in his mind. He's like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And when he yeah. doesn't, it just looks really bad. <laughs> Yeah, you got to live with some of those shortcomings of the turnovers and whatnot because the upside is so much, yeah, so, so great on the other side. Do you have that picture hanging of you in the hockey? It was the baseball card, but you're in your Braves uniform and on the ice. That was that's a that was like a legendary photo. Yeah, you know it's funny. I I was doing something recently and uh, and somebody gave gave me that to sign for them. Yeah, my favorite card that I ever did. Um, awesome. you know, I love that, that was before I knew anything about hockey in Atlanta. Like I didn't have kids yet and um, you know, I hadn't skated much and and you know, I didn't even know that the Mick existed. That's where I did the shot was over at the Mick. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah, it was over there and I was like, "Oh, this is not very nice compared to what I grew up playing in, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was fun. It was one of those cards, like I said, you know, a lot of those baseball cards they ask you, hey, can we get you for an hour to do this or do you know, like, uh, really? Can we? Yeah. Can't you just take a picture of me in my uniform on the field? Uh, but that one, I was exact. I was actually excited about doing. Oh, that's cool. So, uh, Tom, I, I, uh, my father-in-law's good friends with um, Neil McPhee, who. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, uh, for our listeners, uh, Tom's brother, Mike, is the head coach at Northeastern uh, Baseball. And and Neil says he's doing a great job. I looked up some of the stats and, you know, they got a game tomorrow night um, in the Fayette uh, Regional, right, against Nebraska. Yeah, yeah Nebraska, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so they, uh, yeah, they, they won their tournament. Yeah, he got coach of the year. Um, yep. He's done a wow. great job. And, you know, it's funny, I, I texted him. So they, they won the tournament on Sunday. I sent him a text on Monday morning and I said, Hey, do you know where you're going yet? Uh, he said, you know, he texted back. He said, no, not yet, but there's a, there's a couple scary places. Uh, and he sent me back a text later in the day and he said, we got one of the scary places. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they, they've got to go into Arkansas with the number one team in the country's regional and, and try and pull that one off. So, Hey, you never know, you know, it's right. like, like we say, right. If you're going to be champions, you got to beat everybody eventually. So you know, why not go in there and take Goliath down right away? That's Absolutely. right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Tom. Well, we could obviously talk for uh, for <laughs> yeah. days here, but maybe we can catch up on the golf course next time you're up in Boston and uh, and, and shoot the breeze a little more. But we want to thank you. It was a pleasure. And I think this is, a, a you know, fantastic. Uh, you had so many so many great points for our listeners. Well, I appreciate being on and uh, happy to do it any, uh, any other time. And, uh, yeah, if we're – I get to Boston, I'll give you a ring. You guys get to Atlanta, let me know. Actually, Florida now, I guess. So, yeah, I'm not in Atlanta very much anymore. So, either place is fine. Sounds good. Great. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right, guys. Take care. TSR Hockey, New England's premier hockey store, is proud to partner with the Ring Shrinks. TSR Hockey is the hockey store that specializes in fitting. TSR fits players correctly to the right gear to maximize each player's performance. TSR team corporate sales department can outfit your team with the top brands in sports apparel. Ensure that your team looks the best this season. Visit www.tsrhockey.com. Visit our friends up there and outfit your team and, and look the part, right, BY? 
Yeah, they got multiple locations, especially tax-free New Hampshire moths. Nobody likes to pay the taxes on things, especially when you're buying a couple hundred dollars stick. So uh, they have great stuff. Those guys do an amazing job up there. Um, the team sales is fantastic. They get some great swag. And like you said before, the best part about those guys is they're not just tied to one company, right? You can use Bauer, CCM, uh, all the different brands, and, and and they can get it for you. Travis Matthew, um, so some really cool stuff, and we appreciate those guys up at TSR Hockey, that's for sure. Yeah, great people, great selection. All right, and that's a wrap for the show. Once again, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Rink Shrinks and Twitter at Rink Shrinks. Fill up the voicemail for next episode. We got a mailbag coming up next week, Mott's number 22. That number, 3476-SHRINK. Again, 347 674 seven four six five or email us any questions at rinkshrinks at gmail.com yeah great episode uh today great interview with tom glavin you know had some great perspective on on everything that we kind of are promoting here so it was really a, a treat to talk to him and uh we hope that you enjoyed it yeah, he was awesome. Very educational. And, and you know, once again, just a great guy. His family, uh, his wife, Chris, just just great people. And, you know, like I said, they uh, they welcomed us with open arms when we were down in Atlanta. And it was cool, you know, kind of putting things, you know, when we were growing up, Mots, you, you could watch the Braves game, right, on T- TBS, was it? And Always, it was, yeah. So we were able to, to watch those. Obviously, it wasn't like cable like it is now, but we were able to, you know, I was kind of obviously a Sox fan, but also a Braves fan. So he was like a, a childhood idol of mine, and to get to know him personally has been a, been a treat, and hopefully you, got, you guys enjoyed it. Yeah.